Well, if you uh, haven't got a chance to know me yet, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to those who are with us uh, online as well. And I am excited to be able to share the Word of God with you. What a joy it is to be able to get into God's Word, see what it has to say for us today. Now, I want you to grab your Bibles and find Acts chapter 20. So the book of Acts in the New Testament, find the 2-0, Acts 20. That's where we're going to be. Now, if you uh, saw any of our banners in the back at local here, you'll see that right on that black banner, it says these words, disciples who make disciples to to impact the city of St. Pete. Disciples who make disciples. And that's not just a, a, a great little slogan. We believe that that is what the church of Jesus Christ has always been about, disciples who make disciples. In fact, from the very beginning, we see Jesus' first followers making disciples, and then those disciples in turn making other disciples, and this is the process of how Christ grows his church. And right here at Local, we want our legacy to be known as discipleship. That's what we want for this church, and that's what we want for your life and for my life individually, that we would leave a legacy of discipleship. But what does it look like? I mean, we talk about disciples who make disciples. We talk about discipleship. What is that? How is it done? And in the pages here of Acts chapter 20, we get a glimpse into the relationship that Paul has with these believers that he's ministering to. And it is a beautiful example of leaving a legacy of discipleship. I want to consider a little background, kind of what's going on at this time, and then I want us to get our geographical bearings, so I got a map for you, and then I want us to really get into this text. So a little background. It's Acts 20, right? And uh, Luke is recording for us in this chapter the third and final missionary journey of Paul and company. And remember, Luke actually traveled with Paul for parts of this, and we believe he's with him right now as he's writing, because he says we a number of times. In this chapter, we're going to see that Paul has become convinced that his church planting ministry is coming to an end. He's, he's just about done planting churches, and we get to see these goodbyes that he says to people, the personal, their, their emotional goodbyes. And so we get to see how Paul related to some of his dearest friends and those who he discipled. So in this chapter, I'm going to point out three legacies of discipleship. And if you're taking notes, you want to write these down, these are the three words. First, encouragement. Second, scripture. Third, example. These are three legacies of discipleship. These are things that Paul passed on to those that he discipled, and then he calls them to pass on for those that come after them. Now, Acts chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, I just want to read these two verses to start us off here. So look at Acts 20, follow along as I read verses 1 and 2. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now, some of this chapter reads like a travel log, right? And we got to find out where we are here. So I have a map, and uh, some of you love maps. Some of you don't really care. But here is where they are. If you can find Ephesus, which is green, a green dot, if you can even make that out. It's hard to see, okay? But Ephesus is where we were last week when we were in the Word of God. Remember how crazy it was, that riot, the, the, the tumult that's going on. And Paul's in the middle of this riot in Ephesus. 
And now the text says the riot has subsided. If you can't find it, it's like on, on the uh, eastern side of the Aegean Sea. You know where that is. Come on. It's that middle water part there. Anyway, <clears throat> on, the, on the east side there, you have the city of Ephesus. See that? That's where they were. That's where the riot happens. Now the riot has calmed down. And it says that Paul has now encouraged the believers in Ephesus, and then they head for Macedonia, which is northwest. Those are cities up at the top that are, the dots are yellow, and you cannot see that color probably. But up there, we have the, the towns of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. If you find those, that's where Paul heads. He heads up into Macedonia, goes through uh, up into, into Macedonia. And we see in verse 2 that he gave encouragement, key word. He gave encouragement to all the churches, all the people in that area. I believe this is a key word of Acts chapter 20, and it's our first legacy of discipleship, encouragement, all right? Encouragement. It's the word uh, parakaleo, which in the New Testament is used of the Holy Spirit sometimes. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. He comforts. He encourages. He convicts. This is the word. This is a critical word, this encouragement. Paul and his team go from church to church encouraging people. And we need that as human beings, right? We live in a fallen world, don't we? I don't know about you. I know I need encouragement. We need people to come alongside of us, people to be our helper. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, but we also need human beings to come alongside and to encourage and to challenge in the New Testament and in the book of Acts, we see both Peter and Paul uh, using this word for building up the church. Like when they go to different churches, they encourage, they build up the church. And then if you were to read Paul's writings, his letters, he 54 times uses this word, parakaleo, encourage, or it could be comfort, or challenge, or, or a host of words. But 54 times, Paul uses this word as he talks to people he's discipled. I want you to get an accurate picture of what this word is. This is not just giving good vibes, you know? Like, that's, it's important to be positive, right? If you're gonna encourage one another, we wanna give good vibes. But it's a lot more than just giving good vibes. No one's upset about you giving good vibes. But there's another layer of this, and the text actually refers to times in which they encouraged, or I'll use a different word, like challenged or exhorted Sometimes encouragement is saying hard things to people that you love. Oftentimes it has to do with urging, begging, pleading, calling somebody to something they don't want to do right then, right? Or somebody's calling you to something you don't want to do then. Isn't this a big part of our own personal discipleship, right? We need people to call us out. We just heard about that. These ladies shared about how sometimes they call each other out. They encourage, they challenge we believe that we're called to follow Jesus and like theoretically we're all in, right? Until we're not. Because something that Christ is calling us to do is really hard. It's hard to obey sometimes. And all of us disobey sometimes. We don't obey Jesus and so we need loving people who we know we can trust. Who aren't coming at us self-righteously or judgmentally but they love us enough to say, hey, are you doing okay? Or is your marriage okay? Or how's it going with parenting? And I noticed you said this, are, are you, how's your walk with Christ? Listen, church, we need to do this for one another. We have to be encouraging each other slash challenging each other. It's a gift that you can give to others. It's a legacy that you can leave, something you can bestow. 
Paul, when he ministered, became involved in a personal way with those he discipled. When we read through the book of Acts, we don't see Paul just parachuting into a town, dropping a word from the Lord, and then retreating to, you know, the the Hilton of Philippi or something. He actually gets involved in the nitty-gritty and the, the messiness of people's life. He walks through life with people. And when you think about it, what Paul's doing here is kind of basic. It's like friendship, right? It's what it is. It's friendship. It's walking through life with somebody. It's encouraging. It's challenging. We're going to see more in the last half of this chapter, so keep an eye out for this friendship, this encouraging, this challenging. There's a lot of stuff happening in verses 2 and 3, and you don't know that from just reading through this travel log. But if you read through the book of Romans and you read through the book of Corinthians and some of the other epistles, what you find is that there's a lot of stuff happening between the lines. So I wanted to fill you in on that. While Paul is in Macedonia, he is spending quite a bit of time there. We don't know how much time, but he travels, he goes to places he's never gone before in that region of Macedonia. And then we know that he met up with Titus. He had sent Titus ahead to the church in Corinth, because if you remember the church in Corinth, if you know this, the church in Corinth had some real struggles. Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. He's pretty hardcore about it. He challenges them and says, you guys are in sin. You need to repent. They knew he loved him, but he, he, got, he got hard with them. And he's wondering, how did the church respond to that? Are they upset with me? Have they walked away from the faith? Do they even believe in Jesus anymore? So he sends Titus ahead. Titus goes and meets with the church in Corinth and he finds out the church is sorrowful of their sin. They've repented and they're in a healthy spot. So Paul's able to meet up with Titus somewhere in Macedonia and he finds out, wow, the church in Corinth is now good or at least growing in a healthy way. And so he writes 2 Corinthians. So in the first couple of verses here of the chapter, in there Paul is writing 2 Corinthians and sending that letter ahead down to Corinth. Then we find out that he actually goes to Greece. If you look at the map again, uh, the text actually tells us that he goes from Macedonia and he works his way down to Greece, Corinth, the blue dot, okay? So that is where Paul goes to. He travels down to Greece. We believe Corinth, that was the major city that he ministered in. And in Corinth, the text tells us he spends three months. And most scholars believe this would have been winter time because he, it's not great to sail in the winter in this area, so they would have taken the winter to just kind of chill, be with each other, minister to the church there, and then sail after that. Interestingly, in these three months, these winter months, Paul writes the book of Romans. If you've ever read Romans, it's like a magnus opus. It's, It's an amazing theological treatise. It's beautiful, and he wrote that in the three months he was in Corinth. So this is what's happening as we read these verses. Then Paul goes from Corinth and he goes to Troas. If you look across the Aegean Sea, all right, so northeast of that, you'll see Troas, kind of like a red dot, all right? And what happens is, originally, Paul and his crew had, had decided they wanted to travel, sail over to Jerusalem, to Syria, and then Jerusalem, all the way across the water. But they discovered that there was a plot against Paul's life. People were trying to kill Paul, maybe some of his, fo- his, uh, his compadres, and so they decided to change it up, and half of them sail over, and then Paul and a few go by land around to Troas. So this is what the text says is happening. And in Troas, the team is reunited. They spend a week together. And here's where we pick up the adventure in chapter 20, verse 7. But before we read it, and it's an interesting story, I want you to just consider that while Paul and his team is encouraging all the believers, 
Simultaneously, Paul is probably discouraged. He has threats to his life. They have to totally rearrange their plans. He was intent on getting to Jerusalem. Now he's got to delay that. I'm sure it's a discouraging time for Paul. But even in the midst of that, he's, he's dispensing encouragement to the believers. And that, I identify with that because there's sometimes that God's calling us to encourage others and we feel miserable ourselves or we're discouraged, yet we know God is calling us to encourage that brother or sister, right? I also believe that the encouraging was mutual, that Paul was encouraged by the believers, right? Because he needed it. They are having a difficult time and yet in the midst of all of that, Paul is an encourager. It's one of the legacies of discipleship. Okay, look at me, look with me at verses 7 through 12 of Acts 20. One of the most interesting little passages in the book of Acts. So follow along as I read verses 7 through 12, Acts 20. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them and a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. That word comforted is the same word encouraged that we just saw earlier in the text. So here's Paul continuing this encouragement ministry. Now, before we get into the crazy and, and kind of comical nature of this text, I just want to point out a couple things because as we go through the book of Acts, it's helpful to understand how did the early church worship? What did their worship services look like? And what we find here is that first they met on Sundays. This is the first time in the New Testament that we learn that Christians were meeting on Sundays. Previously, they had met on Saturdays, the Sabbath, and now because of Jesus' resurrection, they're starting to meet on the first day of the week. That's interesting. Also, they're celebrating communion whenever they meet. They're breaking bread. That's what that means. Another thing is that preaching is vital. This is a long sermon. I don't know what the longest sermon you've ever sat through is. I promise this is a longer sermon than that, and it's longer than this one will be, Okay. Paul's sermon was not just a monologue, though. The word that's used is a word that we get dialogue from. So there's questions and answers, there's, there's interaction, there's Bible study, and some of it he's preaching. It's really helpful, I think, to understand how did the early church worship? And behold, it's actually very similar to the way we worship, isn't it? Scripture, communion, not doing today, but we do it a couple times a month, um, this idea of, you know, being together and, and, and participating in, in uh, the word, communion, and on Sunday. So that's interesting to note. These are the first followers and how they worship. Now, I want to get to the elephant in the room, which is Eutychus. Poor Eutychus, okay? This boy, probably between 8 and 14 years old, get this, his name means lucky or fortunate. It's true. Like, I looked it up several places. That's what his name means. The room is probably full, so he takes his seat up by a window, okay, third floor. Now, I personally know from experience, it doesn't require the room to be full for him to go to the third story window. Boys that age just climb, okay? So he could just be chilling up there because that's where he wants to be. But whatever happens, he's up there, and 
it's Eutychus versus the Sandman, and Sandman wins, okay? And he plummets off of the window. Now, have you ever been there where you're like really, really sleepy in a sermon? Like right now, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Especially if you're online, I can't even see you. You might be like com- really comfortable. But I remember as a kid, those sermons seemed so long, like so long. And, I, and I'd be trying to stay awake, you know, doing my best, and my dad would give me mints. I remember one time I was sitting on the aisle, and uh, I was trying to take notes, you know, to stay awake. And I, you know how you like jerk when you're like, like, like this? Well, I did that and I like threw my pencil like four pews up and everyone around me knew I was falling asleep. And it's one of those, it's just so embarrassing, right? One time I remember like hitting my head on the pew. I was like, um, Maybe you can identify with my life experience. But in this sermon, this sermon is going on for hours and hours and hours. And poor Eutychus, he does his best. He can't stay awake. What's going on here? Like, why does God allow this? And why is it included in our text? What is God trying to tell us about this? I mean, a couple things. One is he's showing us God's miraculous life-giving power, right? That a boy can be raised from the dead, resuscitated. Also, it confirms Paul as an apostle. The fact that he's able to, to do this by the Holy Spirit's help. It actually is very reminiscent of Elijah and Elisha when they resuscitated children in a very similar fashion. But I think one of the main reasons that we have it in Acts 20 is because it emphasizes the primacy of the word of God. That the scripture is very important when it comes to discipleship. It is one of the most important legacies that we can leave, and that's scriptures. Number two, scripture. In Paul's last hours in Troas, there is nothing that he could do that would be more effective than share the word of God with these people and help them understand it and, and, and get it. We see an intense commitment to teaching and preaching, unlike maybe anything I've seen in the New Testament. And what is Paul teaching? What is he preaching from the scriptures? Well, we could get a really good idea by looking at all of Paul's writings and what did Paul talk about. Later in the, in the, the chapter here, he says that his message is one of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He testified to the gospel of the grace of God and he was proclaiming the kingdom. So whatever Paul preached on, whatever they talked about, it was centered on Jesus Christ and the gospel. And remember, he's speaking from the Old Testament scriptures primarily here. So Paul gives this late night sermon, which when you think about it, it doesn't really make much sense to do like a late night sermon unless it is the most important thing you could be sharing with somebody. He goes through the night, an all night preaching marathon. Now, I lead the youth ministry here and the teens have been bugging me ruthlessly to do an all-nighter and a lock-in. I've done many of those over the years. I've told them repeatedly no. If this is what you mean, then we could arrange that. An all-night preaching marathon, is that what you guys want? They're like, no, that's not what what they're asking for. But this is what happens. Paul preaches and he preaches. I mean, seriously, think about this. Even after a death and a uh, a, a resurrection miracle, It's really a resuscitation because Jesus is the first one to be resurrected with a new body, okay? But even after all of that, Paul keeps preaching. He doesn't stop. Now, for me, that would be a hard stop, okay? After somebody dies (laughs) and then is resuscitated, uh, it's hard to regroup after that, you know? Paul's like, where were we? And he gets back to it. I mean, really, Paul? I, I, I read this and I was like, this is crazy. Plus, Paul could have walked out on a high note, right? Like, he could have preach the word, raise somebody from the dead, and walk out. It's like, 
Paul is always remembered as that hero. But get this, like even more important than miracles is the word of God. That's something to think about. Miracles are important. God used them. God uses them. But even more important than a miraculous raising from the dead apparently is expositing the scriptures. That's, that's pretty intense. So I ask you, does the word of God hold that primacy in your life? Does scripture hold a central place in your relationships with others, those that you're trying to encourage and disciple? Parents, what about raising our kids? That's discipleship, right? It's tempting to just turn the TV on every single night, I know. What about trying to have a family devotional time? Or what about trying to help your kids memorize scripture? Scripture is a central aspect of discipleship. Parenting's more than just like tips and tricks and how to be a successful functioning adult, although that's part of it. It's about the word of God. It's about helping somebody understand the word of God. Okay, so that's what happened in Troas, and I want to continue to follow the journey here. I want you to look at the map one more time. Uh, they're in Troas, and they're going to sail down to Miletus, and so this is a sailing journey. They hit a couple islands on the way down. Uh, Miletus and Troas are both red dots, if you can see those, okay? Consequently, the islands they hit, one is a birthplace of Homer, the Greek author and poet, and one is a birthplace of Pythagoras, which all kids love because of the Pythagorean theorem, right? So these are like... Uh, Greek islands that are well-known. They decide not to go to Ephesus. Paul really wanted to see the church leaders in Ephesus, but he didn't want to go into Ephesus. He was in Ephesus for a long time, and he knew so many people there that he was afraid he would probably get sidetracked. He'd, be, he'd want to spend a lot of time with them, and he is on the route to Jerusalem. He's focused, and we'll look at that next week a little bit more. But so the Ephesian elders, they come and meet him in Miletus. They travel down. It's not too far. They travel down to Miletus and they meet Paul. And then we get to verse 18 and following. And I'd ask you to follow along as I read this wonderful passage here. So Acts 20, verse 18 and following. And when they, that's the elders at Ephesus, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, 
Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now get this, this is the only time in the book of Acts when Paul addresses, like we have a speech or sermon that is addressed to believers, people that are following Christ. All the other times Paul's speeches are recorded, they're to people who are not believing in Christ. He's trying to convince them that Jesus is the way, the one to follow. These are precious words. These are words that we have from Paul to a church, to elders, to leaders, And honestly, when you read them, don't they sound a lot like his letters? It's like the same attitude, the same heart. It gives us insight into how Paul felt about those that he ministered to, how he poured his heart out to the believers that he discipled. Paul had discipled these Ephesian elders. I mean, I'm guessing that probably some, if not all of these men, were were unbelievers when Paul came into Ephesus. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, these men are saved, they're changed, they're made new, and they're raised up, they're built up, they're discipled, to now they're the leaders of the church. Now it's time to say goodbye. He knows he's not gonna see them again. And so Paul is is saying, I've left you this legacy, now it's time for you to leave a legacy. Now it's your time. And, And in here, there's this huge emphasis on integrity. Like, look at your life. Does your life match your words? Paul says, here's my life. Here's how I lived. Now you, you be an example. You watch your life. And that's the final legacy of discipleship here in Acts 20. And that's example, right? Example. Verse 28, one more time, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is so important, isn't it? Not just for pastors or elders or teachers, but for each of us. It's important to give people encouragement, absolutely. It's even more important to give people the scriptures, the word of God. But you could do both of these things. And if your life betrays what you say, you do damage to discipleship, right? We've all known people who we trusted, who we looked up to, whether it be moral failure, whether it be just walking away from their faith completely and deconstructing their faith or or whatever it is, it really is hard for us. It hurts us. And Paul is saying, this is my example. This is my legacy. And now it's your turn to watch your life, to make sure that you are leaving an example. People need an example to follow, don't they? I know in my life, this has been part of my discipleship, is people that I could look to, who God's used to show me what does it look like to be a young man who follows God, to be a man who follows God, to be a, a husband, to be a father. Like, I'm always looking for examples. I remember being very small and seeing my dad up really early in the morning, you know, reading his Bible. 
And my dad would tell you, he'd be the first to tell you, he's not always been a good example to us in his faith. He's made a lot of mistakes. But I remember kind of like burnt into my brain, like seeing him there early in the morning talking to God. I can remember in middle school and high school when my dad uh, was not a good example to us. My youth pastor, my wrestling coach, people that God had put in my life to be examples to me, to really give me something to say, what does it look like to practically be a man of God? God can use you as well in the same way. God wants to and he will use you to be an example. I know you have people in your life probably, but God is calling you to also be an example. He will do this. You can live a life that is an example to those around you and who come after you. You won't walk through life perfectly. You'll make a lot of mistakes. But even what you do when you make mistakes, how you repent, whether you repent, your humility, God uses all of that. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So even if you're a young person, even if you're a child, you you could be an example to the body. Paul shares with the Ephesian elders a couple ways that he worked hard to be an example. In verse 19, he basically says, I humbly endured everything that I went through, right? Paul went through a ton, and he says, I humbly endured all that. Verse 20 and 21, he says, I faithfully taught you the word of God in house to house, privately, and publicly, like in the assembly. I taught you the scriptures. Verse 20 through 27, basically he's saying, I focused more on Jesus than myself. I I was content. I didn't desire riches. I worked hard to provide for the needs that I had. My eye was on Jesus, and you guys, I didn't want anything to get in the way of that. In fact, Paul, Paul says, Jesus was worthy of my whole life. In fact, Jesus is worthy of me giving my life, giving up my life if that's what's required. Paul had run his race in the midst of these Ephesians. They saw him. They, they broke bread with him. They did life together. He lived with them uh, for three years, the longest he had been anywhere. And now he's calling these men who he discipled to carry the torch. He says, I was with you. You saw my life. Now it's your time. Now you carry the torch. And so he tells them how to be an example in a couple ways. He says, number one, pay attention to yourselves. That's what it says, right? Pay attention to yourself. Again, integrity. Are you living the way God wants you to live? We must help others, but above all, we must watch our own lives. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, do you know who gives me the most trouble? Do you know who I pray for the most in my pastoral work? Just myself, he said. (laughs) Tozer was able to say, I need to always be submitting my heart, me, my life being the way God wants it to be. And one of the greatest ways you can help others is by obeying God yourself. What area of your life right now is the Holy Spirit moving in you and and wanting you to align with Jesus Christ, align with the will of God? We all struggle, we all sin. None of us are perfect, absolutely not. And so God is, is, is speaking to you today and saying, this is an area you know that it's not where it should be. If you're gonna leave a legacy of discipleship, we need to always be submitting our heart, our idols, everything that we struggle with to the Lord. And then Paul says, pay attention to yourself and pay attention to the church, the flock. He loves to use the shepherding illustration, right? Like shepherd and flock and wolves, he says. 
He says, care for the body of Christ. Care for the Christians that are under your care. And he says this in the text, which I think is, is really beautiful. He says that those people were bought with Jesus' blood. Did you see that? And I was thinking about that this week, and I was convicted. And so I want to give you like a little pro tip. Like when you are frustrated with another believer, maybe it's somebody you're discipling, maybe it's just somebody that like, their personality really grates against you. And you see him on Sunday, and you're like, Ugh. or you follow him on social media, and you're like, Ugh, you know. When that happens, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus shed his blood for that person. That they are important enough for Jesus to say, I love them, I'm shedding my blood for them. That means something. They're valuable. If somebody's in Christ, if they're following in the ways of Jesus, even if you can't stand them, Jesus shed his blood for them. It was a good thing for me this week to remember and I had to repent. And maybe you need to repent today too. Maybe there's somebody that really grates against you. But remember, Jesus thought they were important enough to shed his blood. And that helps me remember, wow, this is what we're a part of. This is, this is, this is important. So with all these words, this is what Paul leaves for the believers in Ephesus, for the leaders there. He leaves them with this. This is his legacy. He's not going to see them again. He reminds them this is what it's all about, and he passes that baton to them. Really, Paul's legacy was so impactful, not because Paul was incredible. Although if you read this text, you might be like, well, Paul's talking a lot about himself and how great he was. So many places in the, in the epistles, Paul says, but by the grace of God. Like, I would not be who I am if it wasn't for the grace of God. You guys remember who Paul used to be? Remember his name, Saul? Saul was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians, okay? He was against the gospel. He did not believe in the way. He did not follow Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the legacy that Saul would have left if Jesus wouldn't have come into his life and totally turned it upside down and changed everything, right? His legacy would be way different. So as Paul shares his legacy, he's not boasting. He's boasting in the grace of God. It's only because of Jesus that Paul can leave this tremendous example. Often Paul calls himself a servant or slave of Jesus. He uses that word. And in this text, in verse 19, he, he does again. He's, he says, I serve. I'm a slave to Jesus. And what this means is that Paul chose his path because Jesus chose it for him. Paul's will had become God's will. In other words, Paul's method of discipleship is Jesus' method of discipleship. Paul's just following in the way of Jesus. Was not Jesus a great encourager to his 12 disciples? I can think of one example off the top of my head. Jesus with Peter around the campfire on the beach after Peter betrays him, right? Denies him, I should say. And then Jesus gives him this beautiful opportunity to three times say to Jesus, I love you. There's Jesus encouraging the heart of Peter, building him up so that he can be the leader of the church. Was not Jesus regularly teaching the scripture to the 12? I mean, what he says became scripture. But he's also expounding the Old Testament. He's helping them understand everything in the Old Testament's about me. Jesus was very word-centered. We know that from his life. And did Jesus not leave an example for those that came after him? Paul's method of discipleship is Jesus' method of discipleship. Jesus' legacy was bound up in the apostles that he discipled, right? Which includes Paul, because Jesus met with Paul, the Bible says. And of course, Paul discipled these Ephesian elders, and now he's calling the elders 
to disciple the church. And so on and so on, and the rest is history. So I leave you with the question, what is your legacy? What is your legacy currently? What is it going to be? Some of us are a little worried that we don't have a whole lot to leave to people. Like our inheritance is meager, and we feel bad about that. I want you to notice that all three legacies of discipleship in this text are free. They cost nothing, right? Encouragement, scripture, and example. If you have not a penny to your name, you can still leave these legacies for your children, your grandchildren, for those that come after you. You can make it a daily goal to encourage and challenge the believers God has connected you with. You can come alongside as a helper, as a friend, as somebody to even call out lovingly those around you. You can share the word of God and the gospel with others. It's the most precious thing you have hands down. You can do that. You can live your life in such a way to be an example to others. This is really the legacy that matters, isn't it? I mean, when we get to heaven, it's not gonna matter how much, uh, it's not gonna matter how shiny our car was. It's not gonna matter how comfortable our house was. It's not gonna matter how famous we were in the eyes of men. What's gonna matter when we stand before God one day is did we leave the legacy of encouragement? Did we give anyone the legacy of the word? Did we give anyone the legacy of an exemplary life? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for Acts, the book of Acts. God, you've challenged us today from your word. Discipleship is not mystical. It's not that confusing. God, you're calling us to be friends to people, to walk through life, to encourage and challenge, to share the Bible, the word of God with people, and then to be an example. God, these are simple. They're not easy, though. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit, power, and enablement. Lord, but for the grace of God, we would make a shipwreck of our lives. So thank you for your Holy Spirit. We, we fall on your grace, and we ask you to raise up people in this church who are disciples, who make disciples, and then those disciples in turn make other disciples. God, we want you to build your church, and we recognize that this is how you do it, and this is what you're calling us to. God, may our legacy be one of discipleship. It's in Jesus' name we pray.